0: Hey, just making a short break to let you know that my signature course, The Lettering Seminar, is opening registrations for new students soon. This program is my streamlined lettering university for you, and since 2017, it has helped students master the art of hand lettering and progress in their careers. It happens just a couple of times per year. So if you want to join us this time around, I recommend you to sign up for the waiting list on theletteringseminar.com and I will let you know as soon as registration opens. Also, those who sign up for the waiting list get exclusive access to some awesome bonuses. Go to theletteringseminar.com to sign up. Now, back to the show. Next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Studio. I'm your host, Martina Flor, and in this show I have honest conversations with artists, designers and creatives to uncover their paths and discuss the specific tactics they use to overcome challenges and succeed on their own terms. Today I'll be having a conversation with Eric Marinovich, Eric is a Berkeley-based lettering artist and type designer and is a co-founder of Friends of Type. Since 2009, he has drawn letters, logos, and type for big clients like Nike, Target, Google, Hilton, Facebook, Formwater Company, among others. After over 10 years of running a successful solo business as a lettering artist, he launched New Form, a type design practice that looks to the culturally offbeat and peculiar oddities to inspire and inform the creation of expressive letter forms. Eric is not only one of the most talented people I've ever met, but also a humble, sweet person. <laughs> During our conversation, Eric opened up completely to speak about his insecurities when he first started in the creative industries and how he went from feeling in his own words, not very special as a graphic designer, to becoming one of the top lettering artists of our times. Eric shared insights on how he financed the first years of his career, the people and actions that had a huge impact on his success, and the events that led to, 10 years later, starting a new business despite running an already successful one. Eric also share real life numbers on some of the jobs he has done along the way. Because of the international nature of our listeners, I ought to say that according to where you are in the world, these numbers may mean different things for you or may have different relevance. Eric lives in one of the most expensive cities in the world, and what he pays in rent only could mean several months of income in other cities. This is one of the deepest conversations that I have had in the podcast so far. Enjoy the best. Eric Marinovich. Hello, Eric. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so good to see you.
1: I wish we were like in person to like say hi, high five, but here we are.
0: (laughs) Yes. For those watching on YouTube, uh, we are kind of virtual hanging right now, so... (laughs) <laughs> yes. So, Eric, I was preparing the, this podcast yesterday, and I feel that I have so many things to talk to you about. Like, you know, we are fellow lettering artists. You have like an amazing career in letter design. You are also a dad, which is a completely new window. <laughs> and I would love to go into that uh, topic. Um, you are a freelancer. Um, you just started a new business which congratulations for that. That's a big um, endeavor, Um, especially when you're an accomplished, you know, lettering artist, like, which is one of my questions that I'm going to go into later on, which is like, why starting a business when you already have a successful bit? business in lettering uh, lettering design. Um, So I have a lot of things to to talk to you about today. Um, So I thought we would start by the beginning, (laughs) which is your (laughs) childhood. (laughs) And I want to ask you a little bit about about that. Um, Where do you grow up? How is your family like? How was your childhood like? Do you have brothers, sisters? Tell us about Eric.
1: I love this. Because it all... Plays into the storyline of who we are in our adulthood, right? So I am a California native. I was born and raised in the Bay Area. I have an older brother who's three years older than me. Mm. um, An incredible human being and uh, two amazing parents. Uh, My mom is originally from Ohio and my dad is from Croatia. Mm. He came here when he was in his early thirties. So Mm. definitely grew up in this, uh, dual cultural household. You know, my mom came in with her American Midwest background and then somehow, you know, my dad and her, him not speaking English, uh, Mm. just made it work out. Still married to this day. Uh, best of both worlds, I would have to say. So, uh, that's been a really big impact, and then plus all my summers were spent in Croatia with my family there. And wow,
0: that's a big plus. Now,
1: yeah, it's now what I'm doing with my kids, uh, despite the pandemic for the last two years and not traveling. Yeah,
0: yeah. So and and how was that? Like growing up in a household, uh, like a bilingual household, I guess. Mm-hmm. Was your yeah. father speaking Croatian to you, or how was that?
1: Yeah, um, exactly. Bilingual household. Um, great. Honestly, I think that on top of being able to travel and seeing, you know, when I was traveling to Croatia as a kid, that was Yugoslavia then. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, a culture shock, the, you know, when I was old enough to recognize. But all of that left uh, big impressions on me and definitely like made me the person who I am today. And the way that I see the world because of being fortunate to have a family that put me on a plane the day after school ended in the summer, <laughs> and then came back home the day before school started for, you know, uh, pretty much all my childhood.
0: Yeah, and how, how do you bring that into your, your family now? Because you have two, two kids now, do you, yeah. do, you, do you speak Croatian to them, or do you try to like show them places in the world, or how, how do you bring that experience yeah. into your own family?
1: So my my son is eight and my daughter is six. And I feel like we lost two years of good traveling. But now Mm -hmm. seeing where they are now, they're in this like really great curious age where they're definitely asking about the world around them more. So this summer we'll be traveling to Croatia to see family. But yeah, it's really important. Um, Could I speak more to them in Croatian Totally. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... That's something that I need to work on just personally, because obviously I default to English, which is, you know, my primary language. Um, And plus, the way that my dad spoke to me is kind of like, you know, I would consider it village talk. So when I'm in Croatia, they're like, whoa, what dialect is that? My dad's from Bacina. They're like, oh, that's why. Yeah, coastal, small town. Got it. All right. Um, Country. I have a country accent, I guess. Um, but yeah, I I think just being to my kids, it's more of, I'm not speaking to the, to the language all the time to them. I think the impression that I want to lend to them is just inclusiveness, that everyone's Mm. coming with a different story and that you should Mm. always be open to hearing who they are and giving, you know, time to just, uh, be kind to everyone. Yeah. Honestly.
0: That's interesting because I... I think not everyone has this kind of approach, especially people with like an immigration background or with, you know, I also have a household, like a bilingual household. My husband is German. We speak, like he speaks in German to my kids and I speak in Spanish with them. But I know people who don't do that. I know also like um, a lot of people who try to hide their native language or kind of like, you know, speak the language of the place where they are living in and um and i think that it's such a great gift to kind Mm. of bring this into your kids life you know to teach them a new language to teach them that there's new ways of doing stuff that there's different cultures and um and i appreciate the approach you're having right now so what are your you know what, what were your parents doing when when you were a kid
1: uh, you know, I had a, uh, my dad was a bricklayer. He owned his own bricklaying business. Mm. So blue collar household. Um, my mom was at home with us, but when we got into high school, she went back to college and got a degree in interior design and then started working again. Um, so just really, uh, uh, both of them are, are creative, but in these interesting ways, right? Mm. My mom was always open to the idea of me as a kid always drawing. So she really promoted that, signed me up for art classes and after school mm. programs, and just really nurtured that and could see that I loved it. And then on the flip side of it, although my dad being you know a bricklayer, I feel that his approach was much more of a creative one. And he's retired now, but probably the last 10 years of his business, um, he was so well established as just like a pure craftsman that certain architects would just hire him. show him him a rendering of, I don't know, it could be something like a paving walkway or someone's water fountain, and they would just show him a drawing and then they would trust him to just make it. So Hmm. being around, you know, my mom who influenced kind of promoting the sketching, you and your sketch pad, and uh, just drawing to my dad as translating you know what was on a a sketch on a page into the physical world so this really amazing duality much like the languages that were spoken in the household it also was really impressionable with kind of the creative side for me as a Mm. a kid growing up yeah
0: so I guess they were not surprised when you when you told them that you were going to pursue a career in graphic design or that you were going to sign up for a graphic design no hesitation there was uh, yeah
1: yeah There was there was no pushback, and Hmm. you know them being like a blue collar family. We had an agreement where like, hey, you go, you can live at home and go to community college here in the states. (laughs) We have, you know, these smaller schools that are really affordable. So I did that, lived at home, but worked with the agreement that when I transferred to university, which I did, Mm -hmm. that um, when I got there to finish my two years of of college, that um, they they would basically pay for me I wouldn't have to work so that I could just focus on those two years Mm. and it was a great experience and I think I was mature enough that I know like I have these two years I really have to dedicate it to school so I just I didn't mess around
0: yeah at all yeah and after after school what happened
1: um by that time there was another recession that was happening either here in this I can't you know I feel like COVID has not that I've had it luckily knock on wood But just that two-year gap of time, my mind is jumbled with years. But Mm. finished college, and at that time, there was a a recession. So I started working with my dad because I couldn't find work. I see. So there was a year where I was apprenticing with my dad to take over his business. Mm. So there was a sliver of time where I was literally on the path of becoming a bricklayer and taking my dad's bricklaying business over. But then luckily, um, I think my dad saw that I wasn't happy. And Hmm. I think at that moment, an opportunity came up where my old teachers from community college had reached out saying, hey, they had an art gallery in um, downtown San Jose, which is a city here in Northern California. And they asked if I wanted to help out, kind of like an internship, painting Hmm. walls between gallery exhibits and then designing flyers for them and whatnot. it was pretty much not paid. <laughs> <laughs> it was paid, but not paid. I guess I got paid in artwork, which now, in hindsight, was cool. But I, I jumped at that and I had a support of my dad. Was like, you mm. know, you should totally do this. I, I can see you're not happy and just go for it. Yep.
0: And in in which way you were not not happy? Like because I can imagine that you were working pretty hard in in a mm. in this kind of business that you're like. Out there, you know, building yeah. walls everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah. How how did you start to like kind of speak about this with your dad? Were you speaking about this with your dad, or with with someone? Or
1: uh, my dad, being East Eastern European, mm. conversations are slightly short. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's just like short. Or silent acknowledgments, I would mm. say, more of reading his mind and him reading my mind for the most mm. part, but i th- yeah, it just I was pretty much dragging my feet for the last six months of that year, kind of mm. apprenticeship, and not that I didn't make it make it apparent that I was wasn't like I was mad to be there; it was just mm. like showing up doing the work, mm. and that was it. Not super Um,
0: excited about it or anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, yeah. I think I was most excited about having lunchtime, like having a break from (laughs) it. And of course, the day finishing and going home. Um, But, you know, that year really was impressionable just because Mm. of the work ethic that was involved. Mm. And now looking back and you bringing this all up, I think the repetition in the nature of being a bricklayer, it's, Mm. you know, one piece at a time. Uh, really translated pretty true to what lettering is it's this series of operations that build up to this final composition similar to bricklaying right you start with nothing and then next thing you know there's a wall that's been built but it's that time it's the patience and yep
0: yeah i can totally see that and also i can see how that work ethic translates into learning something really good you know like that you have yeah. to give it time, you have to be patient. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. The nur- I think it's the nurturing of it. It doesn't just, you can't snap your fingers and it's done. It's like you got to put in the work.
0: I love that. And yeah. so you were having this um, internship and at this gallery for almost no money. And at some point, you decided to move to New York <laughs> and you started, you know, a some years of working in branding, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, mm-hmm. we were doing a long distance relationship for about two and a half years. This is between working for my dad and working for the gallery. She always had ambition to grow her um, career. Mm. And she's. we met in school. We both studied fine art and graphic design. And she literally gave me this ultimatum where... He said, "I'm having a garage sale. Like literally, I'm this weekend. I'm putting all my stuff outside and I'm selling it. And whatever money I make will be going to buying a plane ticket and hopefully give me three months to live in New York." She's like, "Here's your options. <laughs> it's come with me or not." That she said we're done, but it was definitely a, she a, a silently implied that, and so I followed suit. I sold a lot of my stuff, um saved the money I could, and we both bought a plane ticket out to New York.
0: And when you got to New York, you were looking for jobs and you found I've been reading a little bit about uh you <laughs> and other articles of course. Um so you you uh you got a job at Landor, right? Which yeah, is a branding yeah. agency.
1: Yep. Yeah, Landor Associates uh you know at it's still around i think it's merged with another company but at that time it was the the probably tail end of the golden era of big branding studios mm-hmm. you know like yeah lots of employees and new york was just this um kind of epicenter um amazing talent uh the people i met there were incredible and mm. and life changing um mm. If, if we had two hours, I would list everyone that I'm so grateful for, but it changed everything for me getting that Mm. job, to be honest.
0: In which way do you feel?
1: Um, it was the dedication to the craft. Mm. It wasn't, I think I school, we were taught more of the production side of being a graphic designer. Although in school I did have a class that was about critical theory, that helped. But I think being around peers where graphic design wasn't everything, it was about living in the world that inspired you to be better as a creative person. Hmm. For instance, friend Jason Wong, crazy into music, uh, big factory records fan, and he would just go off like literally showing me like, hey, here's this ticket, here's this... Album artwork from Peter Saville, just exposing me to incredible things that weren't in my zone at that time. And because of those moments, really expanded just like what it means to be a creative person, and also the things that you can do with your creativity it doesn't have to yeah. be applied to these big brands all the time.
0: Yeah, because it's interesting that you you know you I've been reading that you uh, first got the this job at Lander then afterwards you went to Fut- future brand these are big players in the branding industry so I was wondering like what how come you didn't go down the path of branding because you had such a good experience at this um and I wonder why did you take a left and just decided to go down the path of lettering I bet there's there's a yeah. lot of things that happen in between but maybe you can <laughs> you know shortcut fill in the gaps <laughs> yeah yeah
1: shortcut <laughs> yeah you know the time in New York was, um, again, I already mentioned, but life-changing in the way that it pretty much cemented the the idea that this is what I want to do for my whole life. It I knew that doing it, I loved it, but didn't really, like, love it.
0: Mm. I was
1: good at it, but not seeing some of my peers and just how it oozed out of them. And mm. for me, it always seemed to be, like, a challenge. I was always the person... Last to leave um, because it just took me longer to do because I also mm. felt like I needed to catch up because everyone yeah. was coming in from all these really established art schools, <laughs> RISD and Pratt and SVA. And here I'm coming from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo liberal arts <laughs> program. So, but let me uh, fast forward to the part where I left New York because my After six years, my wife and I wanted to come back to California. All of our parents are a lot older, and we just thought that was a really important moment in time to be closer. Mm -hmm. And plus, California is an incredible place, so we just wanted to be back. So we made the move, did a little stint in Los Angeles where we pretty much uh, burned through all of our savings because we thought we would land there, find new jobs. It just wasn't the right place for us. We then... My wife luckily got a job in San Francisco that moved us back up to Northern California. And I was freelancing and I was Mm. freelancing for a bunch of small studios, including a lot of my freelancing for my New York network, which was Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. But at that time, freelancing for, you're just like plugging in the holes that other people can't get to in their project per se. So I just felt like I was a hired hand to just, jump into what was a long part of a process and Mm. having to download myself on all these things that came before this point in which I started working on it. So it was a challenge, but because of that it gave me the flexibility of to think quickly and act quickly and execute quickly. Mm. But there was one job I was in house at this design studio and literally like it was a dream place to work it was small i went in there with the intentions i just want to kill it so they hire me they just see my compassion for being a maker (laughs) (laughs) and they gave me this project i thought i was doing great on it they invited me in to this meeting and it was slightly weird because it was just me and the two partners and they basically just Proceeded to tell me that the work I was doing was terrible and like, (gasps) I should pack up my stuff and go home. Oh, no. So after doing what was probably like my eighth year into like this branding creative thing, everything just crashed, like Mm. left with my head down crying, Mm. (laughs) called my wife, called my friends just because I was just needed to vent. And you know everyone was supportive, but that was the longest walk I've ever had home. And I went home, and one my friend Aaron Carambula, who mm. I met at Landor in New York, he just suggested like, "Hey man, why don't you do what you always do and just draw in your sketchbook as a form of art therapy?" Yeah. And that's what I did. So I wrote a little note that said, "Thank you and f you," <laughs> and. <laughs> shared it back to him. It was a crude sketch. And he was like, this is great. You should just post it somewhere. This is probably the time of the beginning of Tumblr, which is crazy to think. It feels like it was yesterday, but it's been a long time. Yeah. And all these other kind of bookmarking websites. And I said, but where? And he's like, well, how about we just make um, a website for it? And then hmm. literally, uh, and I think an eight hour period, we came up with the name and he designed the website and friends of type was born
0: yeah oh i love this part so i know that you have (laughs) you have spoke about this uh this project because i know that it has been really life-changing for you like you know it was like a before and after this project and it also has been i have to say like a before and after um for the lettering world um i think this project also Uh, inspired many of us that are doing this for a living now and um, so I want to get into the specifics of that project. So you sent this sketch to a friend and eight hours later you were posting that on a website. Um, You came up with a name, a branding, like a look and feel for that website and everything. Um, everything. Tell us a little bit about you know what? What went down in that moment? Where when you were creating this website, what did you invest in money? Uh, did you invest some money, or did you? You know, who created the website? Did you have any experience at at um, web web design or anything? How did you mm-hmm. put that together in just eight hours?
1: Yeah, yes, great question, and it's nice to have the space to kind of give everything uh, a fuller history and context for for those who might not know it. So, yeah, Friends of Type was literally born in this eight-hour brainstorm and crazy work session between Mm. me and Aaron Carambula, Aaron, who now lives in California, but at that time was living in New York still. Mm. And he's always been uh, an amazing, supportive friend uh, still to this day. Best friend, actually. And so we had this fond – we were both admirers of – of lettering, of type, even when we worked together at Landor. So there was a shared interest and mutual affection for it. So he he probably, he's a person that can always see into the future. I always tell him this, either with technology or just what's next. And so um, he's like, he offered to make the website because that's what he was really affluent in in web design at the time and Mm -hmm. always, again, he could see into the future. So, uh, he made it very quick, like literally, I think in eight hours it was made. I had worked on all the branding, got the color palette down, kind of set this, uh, strategy, which was rather than the world of inspiration at that time in the internet existed Mm -hmm. as these websites where you're just going to look for it. Mm. would it be awesome to create a website where it's all original content? It's not bookmarked content that we're just seeing a plethora of other people's work. What if it's just like our work? Mm. So we set this really crazy schedule of like one new post a day. Mm. We started on that and Aaron had some great contacts. Um, He had worked with Eric Olson who runs Process Type and Eric Olson had tweeted it. And, you know, we went from our Google Analytics of, like, the four of us viewing it to maybe, like, 25. And, you know, that's a really big deal when your small world has been consisting of this small group to then see, oh, other people are coming in. And then it just snowballed, right? We started paying attention. We saw those numbers growing. Um, We saw people referencing it, you know, slowly into the world. And then Aaron and I just hit a wall saying, we can't manage doing a new post every single day. Mm. So we had a discussion and decided to invite two of our former colleagues that also worked at Lander who were also really big type and lettering advocates to us then. Um, and that was Jason Wong and Dennis Pyongyang.
0: And yeah. we
1: just kind of handed over the keys and it became the four of us. And for the next three years, um, we pushed really hard at posting work almost every single day.
0: And what happened? Because I know that um, this project was also for you and also for for Aaron, Jason and Dennis was also a way of like building a portfolio. So you were actually you know, training your skills at doing lettering and building a portfolio of work yeah. that allowed you to later launch a career as a lettering artist. But what was happening in between? Because you said that you were just left out of a job. Um, you were a little bit down uh, and like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a down moment in your life. You had started this project, which still didn't make any money for you. So <laughs> what what happened in between Um you know, why you were doing this project, super engaged, I can imagine yeah. super excited for all the attention you were getting. Um Yeah. So what came next?
1: Uh, I love it. You're filling in all the holes that I keep skipping over. This is great. Um, you've done so much <laughs> diligence on your homework, Martina. I love it. <laughs> um, so for the first time in my life, when friends of type happened, I finally, that when I mentioned before when I was working at Landor and all these other branding agencies, like I liked it, but I didn't love it the way that yeah. some of my colleagues did. And then this lettering just kinda of hit me and I was like, This is it. This is like what I want to do. And oh, I was yeah. like twenty nine thirty. So looking back, I would love to be still thirty, but at that time I was like, Man, I'm I'm so old and this is such a crazy time to be shifting after dedicating so many other years to building up this portfolio. And I think I've benefited from having really a supportive family and friends. So my wife could see, and thankfully her is also being a creative person. She could see the like shining light that I was beaming Mm -hmm. from this. Like this is at the beginning of friends of type and we just had a discussion where i presented her with the idea of i found something that i truly love i have a big road of, in front of me to travel because i am it's like starting from day 1 mm. and it's like going back to school but on this journey i have to self i have to basically teach myself because at that moment there there were resources but not how there is now mm. and i presented her with like can i have 6 months where I'll cover a little bit of our basic necessities. I'll pitch in with rent. Can you handle the rest? And she was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, got it." So what ended up happening is that that six months became two years oh. of me just hitting the gas really, really hard. And the time that I invested was lots of late nights. I there's so many nights, all nighters. That was all self-in because. Everything in Friends of Type was self-initiated, mm. but I never doubted the time that I was investing because I was literally just, the only thing I regretted is not finding it sooner and trying this when I was in my 20s. <laughs> but you have to follow a path in order to find these moments in which you recognize this is the thing you need to be doing mm. and hopefully be in a place where you can pivot. So
0: so your yeah. wife was a big, like the... the Huge the huge support that you needed to actually get the things started, yeah. My Amazing. venture,
1: she was my venture, my venture capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah.
0: So you you were you were building your portfolio, and later on, as you said, I'm trying to fill the gaps. Later on, you you launched your lettering studio, your your you launched yourself as a lettering artist. So what came first? You had you know, you build that portfolio, you put it online and you said like, OK, now I'm going to get some work or jobs uh, or yeah. you started getting jobs as you were doing this. How, how was that?
1: It was it was a slow transition. Mm. It definitely it wasn't immediate at all. There might have been some editorial commissions that had come in. But for those of us who've been lucky enough to do editorial work, um, they're great because it's a fast turnaround and literally you blink your eye and then you have a physical copy in your hand like Mm. the week after. But as far as financial stability goes, you would have to do a thousand of those projects to be able to live, especially in a place like the Bay area, even at that time. So the first big project that came through was interesting enough through Landor, but Mm. through a art director who I had never worked with. And this was like Landor, San Francisco and she saw a piece on Friends of Type. And, you know, it was just one of those art, art directors that had the foresight seeing this particular lettering style and how it could potentially transition. And this was for a project for Nest Cafe at the time. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, that was the moment where it went from maybe, like, you know, $1,300 editorial commission, if I was lucky, to, like, hey, this is, like, a $10,000 project. Amazing. And that was, like... If I can get a couple of these, mm. maybe this can be a thing that I do forever. So that definitely was a, a, a moment of pure encouragement to like go even more with the lettering. so and you
0: were you were there in the early steps with uh, friends of type, like you you had just started, and this project came in, and you thought like, okay, so this is a sustainable mm-hmm. career yep or this could be a sustainable career if I get more jobs like this one
1: yeah exactly and I think at that time too the the friends of type collective the Aaron Jason and Dennis they were all working full-time and at this moment like I was still just pursuing lettering because literally I wouldn't I wouldn't stop until it worked out for me Mm. to be honest Mm. so um that was a moment where you could start seeing a shift where I think I started posting more than everybody else just because I understood with that first project that came through for that Nest Cafe, that I need to put out the work that I want to be hired for. I need to put it out into the world because no mm. one's going to hire you unless they see the thing, yeah. right? Yeah. You want to do Christmas? Then do some Christmas work.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: They have to see it.
0: And so you were... You know, you start. You had this first assignment, which I think is such a, an important, um, such an important milestone for for every artist. Because, as you said, like uh, most of us start by having this, but by, by taking any job that comes our way, which I think it's a great approach in the very beginning, because you train yourself to work professionally as a lettering artist or as an illustrator or an artist, um, and you start seeing your work your work out there, which is amazing. You start making some money, um, but then you realize that there's other jobs out there that can really um, help you make a sustainable living with uh, with what you do. What were the other, so that was a big bet to just, you know, invest that time uh, to create a portfolio of work, right? What do you think or what, what would you say are the other big bets that you did throughout your career besides investing that one or that one or two years into just getting better at lettering and developing a portfolio
1: yeah great that's such a good question big bets was surrounding it's funny my dad again being eastern european he has these like little quips that he'll say and I remember growing up, he would say, never bring home anyone, you know, I won't like Which is crazy to think. But, you know, he said it enough where literally like it's that little voice in the back of my head throughout this, like my life as an adult, where I would ask myself the question, is this someone I would bring home to introduce my dad to? And <laughs> that big bet was surrounding myself by humble, kind, more talented people that were willing to be transparent and be patient to either share their applied knowledge and help you get to the place they see something in you. Maybe it's because you're motivated. Maybe it's because there's a spark of talent, and mm. are willing to take time out of their life to invest in you, to to encourage you, or show you different tips and tricks to become better. Mm. The second bet is, I'm not I'm not a confident person. Mm. I I become more confident as i've get as i get as i've gotten older but mm-hmm. the thing now looking back is when it comes to my work i've always been confident with it and mm-hmm. that was a big bet was just believing in myself believing in my process although really hard at times and back breaking physically sitting in a chair for 12 hours at a time but just seeing through and believing in what I can make was a huge bet that really paid out just, and also giving myself the time to see ideas through into their final execution. Um, and then what else? Um, yeah, I, I feel like I wish, yeah, those are, I feel like the two big, those have been key, key things that have helped me Hmm. is the people I surround myself and then just the confidence in me and my work.
0: And Eric, just fast forwarding—I don't know—ten years. How how long have you been doing this? Yeah, yeah, ten years. Over um, ten,
1: over a decade now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say that you are what we will call an accomplished lettering artist. No one doubts that you have the skills that you have <laughs> made a lot of work in the in the you know in the discipline. Um, why would you why would someone start a new business when you are already running a, a successful business in lettering? You now started a new form, which is your type foundry. Yeah. Um, yeah. what led to to do this?
1: Yeah, so I found that in the podcast that I've listened to, the connection I think I the connection I make to either the host or the interviewers I think when there's some sense of full transparency because hmm. it's very easy to just sugarcoat our timeline in life for the sake of. I only have an hour, I'll just condense this yeah. story into. Oh, it all worked out. So, <laughs> pandemic hits, and I go from having a studio in San Francisco shared with, um, you know, my colleague for a long time, Jessica Hish, and then, um, and then my other friend Tina Hardison. I go from that to the pandemic hitting to Mm. literally doing a 360 where I'm now at home. My two small children are doing remote learning. I've Mm. now become pretty much a homeschool teacher because in the gaps between them sitting in front of their iPad, getting their lessons through their teacher, there's these big spaces between. So I became PE teacher, English teacher, um, you know, social emotional teacher. (laughs) And. My schedule looked like this: I was at no. home. I was with them until five thirty. Until my wife, who has a full-time job, she is on Zoom all day. So I was up until five thirty, start prepping dinner, and literally it was like uh, a wrestling match where I like just tag her; she tags me out of the ring. <laughs> I go upstairs, and then I <laughs> proceed to work until the work gets done. So I yeah. became a professional dad, and I was still a. Prof- like in my professional practice of lettering Mm, mm. and a lot of those nights look like me being up until 3 a.m for like almost eight months to a year
0: Oh, okay. and
1: then I had this moment in which I did an all-nighter I was up here and I was walking downstairs and I fell down my staircase and like injured my back really bad yeah and in that moment I pretty much had a mental breakdown panic attack and Mm. just like curled into a ball and yeah it was it was the moment where I knew this wasn't sustainable and Mm. I had just been leading myself on for a year or so thinking that I can make this all work I can Mm. be there for my kids Mm. I can be there for my business and still Mm. you know support the way I need to for my household Mm. and and sorry to um, to
0: get a little bit of context you were doing you were still doing Essentially client work. Letter Yeah, lettering. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like lettering. I was doing lettering full time. And as yeah. all of us know who do lettering, it's 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 it takes a while, especially yeah. dependent on what the ask is. If it's complicated, it has a lot of if it's a paragraph, that just means a lot more time to actually physically mm-hmm. make it. Yeah. So I was at the mercy of no longer having this big space during the day to work and Now it was very condensed. I had this evening to just do it all. Mm. So I burned myself out, injured myself. And luckily, during this time as well, since what we do is solitary arts, right? A lot of us are always at home doing our own work all the time. Um, I was pretty lonely, right? I wasn't in a studio. I wasn't talking to, you know, my colleague Jessica and Tina anymore. So my friend James Edmondson, who runs Ono Typeco. Type Co., he suggested of doing this accountability call. So Mm. every Monday and still to this day at 1 30 PM Pacific standard time, we meet and talk for 30 minutes to an hour. And we have an agenda of the things we want to accomplish, the things Mm. that we're intending to work towards for the year and so on. And he's always been a very big proponent of, he runs his own successful type foundry. He was always like, please make a type foundry, Mm. just make fonts, please make fonts. And, he hit that drum for a very long time. And it was that moment where I had that incident where I fell down the stairs where I'm like, maybe this is the time where I need to make the shift where Mm. it isn't about the client work. It's about rededicating myself and the time I have somewhat similar to what friends of type was for that first two years where it was just pure. The output was purely my work that I saw in my head that I needed to see out in the world. And I wanted to see if I could do that same kind of, moment and shift businesses and work mm. on developing a type foundry
0: mm. and i can imagine that as a father and <laughs> as a you know having a family and having to sustain it as well you were also thinking in terms of financial gain right you are not not no longer seeing this as a side project like uh, friends of type where you will venture into another craft or like just for fun okay. studying a type foundry so what was there in studying a type type foundry that will allow I don't know more space for your life or more financial gain or what were your what was the formula there or the calculation you made
1: I think being naive is helpful it's like a blessing and a curse so I was naive to think oh hey I can do this in three months I already mm-hmm. do letters for a living I can be able to transition to just you know releasing typefaces like I do lettering pieces. Oh, was I I was so wrong because not only is it a different part of the brain where, you know, lettering is looking at it's just this one composition. It's a single illustration. Type design is this systematic approach of developing these components that it works in a system and It's also new software, it's different ways of distributing, you have license agreements, dot 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 dot. Not to mention
0: the the duration (laughs) of the projects where like lettering, it's instant gratification and type design is like a lifetime project. It's like it could take one year or two years to finish one single typeface. So yeah. Yeah. And
1: then also where do you start? If there's yeah. a billion options, oh, how yeah. do you produce something that is going to be relevant and f- have enough uniqueness to it that it might stand out in a, f- in a very crowded field? Yeah. Like, wow. Um, and I think that comes into play all of the last maybe 15 years of work from branding to lettering is look at the context of what's happening in trends and in the world. And mm-hmm. then if everyone's going this way, you know, swim in the opposite direction
0: because mm, mm.
1: eventually, if you do something slightly different, there's going to be those art directors and designers that see that that are also like minded like you and are willing to try your work out and present it to repackage it, meaning by your type, repackage it and put it out into the world in their own way using their skill set. Um, that's getting off subject, but the important thing was, yeah. It was a very long road. What ended up happening is it literally took probably over 10 months to, from when I made the decision, I was still doing client work. And then eventually, um, 10 months ago, I realized I can't do client work. Although I slowed the lettering client work down, I can't do both. Hmm. If I'm going to succeed and see this through, new form type, I need to make the commitment of stopping client work just to see it through. And I did that. And, you know, again, my kids are back in school, but their days are much more condensed. Mm. So my window of working is, is even smaller than what I had 10 years ago. Mm. So that's where the accountability call with James came in. I, yeah, he, he helped me through, yeah, present ideas. And he's like, I think this, I would continue on this if I hit a roadblock since he had already gone through the process, he was in his sixth or seventh year of running Ono yeah. Typeco. Um, he helped me through that. You know, it's not he's giving me the keys. He's giving me the suggestions to get over that roadblock.
0: Yeah, but I can, I can see how this is a totally different business. Even if you are still drawing letters for a living, it's a totally different business. You you need a newsletter and you need to have a customer uh, <laughs> service and you need to like market your own fonts and launch them and kind of have a calendar of launches throughout the year, right? So that yeah. I can totally see why this new, um, this new company is a totally new business. And I think it's so important that you have someone kind of Keeping you accountable like james uh so james edmond edmondson edmond Ed- yeah, I- yeah. edmondson Ed- okay edmondson so he uh he runs a type foundry called Ono oh no type co and i think it's one of this kind of independent tra- type foundries that also as you said perhaps don't follow the trends as everyone mm-hmm. knows like everyone is doing like sensory fonts because this is what what sells and Mm -hmm. you know like you can totally make a business out of doing things that are different and have your own niche right and uh, be known for that so um so great so in this accountability calls that you were having with uh, james just to to um wrap up the this this new business venture that you started um what what are the things that you were talking about like what are what are the topics you were working towards as you started this new company? Uh,
1: it was, we wouldn't say it was a strategy, but it was making sure to work on all the pieces required to having a successful launch
0: mm.
1: of the business, which was new form. Yeah, And so I was talking about, What does it look like getting your Instagram account ready? What does that look like? And what type of work marketing, self-initiating work, what does that look like? And how do you want to present new form to the world? Yeah. Then there's the whole just business aspect of, all right, you got to get the website. You have to get the MailChimp. You have to get the Google analytics. You Mm. have to get the e-commerce platform. I'm not a web designer. But i took on the challenge of doing this first version of the website myself so then researching what are do you do squarespace do you do sem splice I, yeah. I think i'm saying that right and so on cargo hmm. and i ended up going with uh sem splice and again like learning a whole new language right yeah it's proprietary it's made to it's made for designers so that's a thing yeah and then the license agreements and looking at 10 different foundries and collating all this language to something that feels right for you and how you want people to buy and uh, work with your fonts and then finally it's setting up the email and what does it look like on how do you you respond to people right away do you respond to them a day later and most of all it was the branding of how what is new form and how how is it going to be unique to me hmm. and how is it going to present itself where it's unique to t- people seeing it for the first time? Hmm. So it was all of that. The accountability call was all these different moving pieces, but making sure that as one got finished, we were working on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And then just having a critical eye, someone who can call you out on your BS, like you're not trying hard enough. I know you can do better. Yeah, That is very important to find a colleague and a friend that can tell you the truth and knows you well enough when they can tell you, like, this can be better because I know you can make it better. That was so crucial to me getting New Form to a place where I felt confident when it was ready to be presented to the world.
0: And how do you feel that now... It has impacted your personal life now. Now that you have transitioned from working for clients into selling digital products, which is essentially what a type foundry does. Um, eventually, you can also do custom typefaces for clients as well. But that is the big difference from you know working as an artist for clients to start your own company, your own type foundry, uh, selling fonts. Right? How does this? impact your life
1: uh financially huge impact because um i understand that i'm not going to be making the money i made doing the lettering work Mm. when it was full steam ahead i basically had a whole year i had a year worth of work booked now it's all right i'm taking a massive pay cut my salary looks like what i was making when i was an intern like Mm. 15, 18 years ago, whatever, to now understanding that in order for this to grow, like how I grew Friends of Type and into my own personal lettering practice, is the giving the time to nurture it and understanding that by giving it your attention, much like your child and feeding it the right things, it will grow into being um, something better than the thing that you were doing the time before. So I'm in a place where I just know, like, in five years, this is going to be great. Yeah. Um, But the thing that's important for me and what I understand the luxury that this new business can give me is the Mm. passive income. Mm -hmm. Where lettering, I'm at the mercy of clients seeing my work and hiring me to do it. Yeah. In that regard, too, you're also expanding. You have to do a ton of revisions and options, and you're just burning through a lot of your creative juice, as I've been mm, calling mm. it. And I wanted to get back to a place where I reserve that kind of creativity and that battery life for myself and put yeah. it back into something that I can grow again, like I did with Friends of Type. So it's kind of all over the place. But I will say that, um, you know, I'll still be do, doing lettering, but I, I have to be selective on what projects I, I bring in. But I also do want to make more space for the new releases and obviously the big roadmap it takes to develop, make, produce, and then launch a, a new typeface.
0: But I love this. I love, it's, it's so encouraging to, to listen to how your journey has been because you know it's about it's a work in progress every time and nothing is settled, you know, as a creative, you will find new ways of like, hey, this works better for me right now. And, you know, also um, you will find ways of adapting your, your job to your life situation. For instance, now that you have children and you have to um, have them at home and you need to spend more time with them. So you can really shape your job in in the way that works for you and for your um, life side so I think it's so encouraging to hear you say after 10 years of doing lettering and being successful at it um, taking that big risk of starting a new company and trying to figure things out for the best you know
1: yeah and I just think as like humans and maybe sorry I shouldn't project this to every about this is how I see everyone but for me I think it's it's that itch to try something new mm. is you've studied for something so long you've built up this portfolio of work you become really confident in what you can make and the time it takes to make but then you see it as like all right I've gotten to this place where literally like if I had a bucket list 10 years ago I've I've been really grateful and and I'm able to check those off the bucket list whatever I hate saying that term but it got to a point where the work slightly became repetitive that I needed some new challenge and it just seemed like a very good pivot to work towards making a type foundry. It's in the same zone, but I'm expanding kind of my learning process and applying it. And I'll do, I do have to say is that the lettering community, I mean, sorry, the type design community is so inclusive and incredibly transparent with if you have a problem, they will... Someone has made a video, uh, they'll reply to your email within five minutes with an answer. It's just a very supportive, incredible industry.
0: And I'm sure they are really happy to have you right now. (laughs) (laughs) After your 10 years of of lettering, uh, I bet they will (laughs) really welcome you into the the community. Um, Eric, to wrap up, I would like to do a little game. I haven't done it before, but I think you're the perfect person to do it. Uh, The game is called Finish the Sentence. I bet you have played uh, this game uh, earlier in your life. Um,
1: Probably. Yes. I feel like I do this with my children every morning where they just stop a sentence and I'm like, are you hungry? (laughs) But go ahead.
0: Great. So you're a pro. So I basically start a sentence and you complete it. Okay. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, a little nervous, but I'm ready.
0: (laughs) I could never get bored of...
1: Picking my nose.
0: Style is...
1: Supreme. No, 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 no. (laughs) Let me do that again. Style... Style is... Not everything it's made up to be.
0: I'm a little embarrassed by the fact that I know so little about... Life <laughs> if, if I wouldn't be doing this for a living, I would be
1: mowing lawns.
0: It's <laughs> true. I'm always chosen first when it comes to
1: cleaning the dishes. <laughs> also true. <laughs>
0: My wife always tells me that.
1: Can you please pay attention to when I'm telling you something? (laughs) Also true.
0: (laughs) Can totally relate. I'm always like somewhere else. Right now is the perfect time to.
1: Care about other people.
0: If I were to start again, I would definitely
1: pick not such a hard job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Where can people find you?
1: They can find me at uh, newformtype.com or Instagram handle at newformtype. And if they want to see all that work that we talked about before newformtype, they can find me on Instagram at eric marinovich and eric i had such a good time this was i have like goosebumps i you can't oh, see it! It's all covered, i love it i love, it. I, I, I love I had... you it's like it's so good to see you and you know how yeah thank you
0: yeah no thank you so much for this conversation i'm gonna add all of this uh you know all your um handles and website um to our show notes so that people can find you and i wish you like the best of luck on this new venture, I I know you're gonna crush it. You're such a talented guy. You're such a Thank good you. person, and oh. I so appreciate that, that you took the time to chat with me today and open up and tell all these stories about the challenges you went through throughout your career. I think this is so so eye opening for those that are starting that feel that you know they would never get there, and that yeah. it's so hard to to make it into the creative industries. I think having people like you willing to tell these stories and tell what it takes to get to where you are right now um, in an open way is so important. So I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate everyone listening. See you on the next episode of Martina Flores Open Studio. Bye-bye so this is it i hope you loved this episode you can find me the host of the show on social networks at Martinaflor on instagram twitter and facebook if you have a question or comments go to martinafloor.com slash podcast where you can see previous episodes find show notes and send voice memos with your comments and questions you can also watch these episodes on youtube just go to slash youtube to find them you can of course